This is a National Arts Center podcast. Find more great NAC podcasts on the performing arts at nacpodcast.ca or search on National Arts Center on iTunes and subscribe for free. Hello and welcome to the Points of View podcast for the 2017-18 season presented by the National Arts Center English Theatre and coming to you from Canada's National Arts Center in Ottawa. I'm Sean Fitzpatrick. One, two, three, and... In each Points of View podcast, you will learn about English theatre productions through an encounter with NAC English Theatre Artistic Director Gillian Kiley and conversations with special guests and audience members offering unique perspectives on the piece. For more information about the 2017-18 season, please visit nac-cna.ca. Click on English Theatre. And now, here is this episode of Points of View. Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome to Points of View for 887. Um, I'm really looking forward to your experience of the show <laughs> this afternoon. I've seen it four times. It's so good. Uh, of course, Robert Lepage is a master, not just in Canada, but all over the world and well-known as the uh, premier theatre maker, so we're very privileged to have him here. Um, I'd like to acknowledge that the, uh, that the land we're on right now is the um, unceded Algonquin Nation land whose uh, territory the National Arts Center is located and uh, we gratefully acknowledge them. And uh, please don't hesitate to raise your hand if you have trouble hearing us. This is our first time doing points of view in this new beautiful space. Uh, and it's a beautiful space but it comes with some challenges so uh, certainly feel free. <laughs> challenges like um, maybe other people around. Um, so please uh, feel free to raise your hand and let us know if we can speak up or make things a little easier for you. I'd like to introduce our guest today is Andre Lacour, who is here. He is a professor in the School of Political Studies at the University of Ottawa, and his main research interests are Canadian politics, European politics, and nationalism. And the nationalism with a focus on Quebec, Scotland, Flanders, Catalonia, and the Basque Country, and federalism, which comes up quite a bit in 887. He's the editor of New Institutionalism, Theory and Analysis, published by the University of Toronto Press in 2005, and the author of Basque Nationalism and the Spanish State. And he's the co-author of Nationalism and Social Policy, The Politics of Territorial Solidarity. So uh, thank you, Andre, for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. So we're going to have a little discussion about uh, Quebec nationalism. And um, once we get through our questions, we're going to open the floor to you. And uh, I'd be interested in hearing your questions for Andre, but I'd be really interested, because I know a lot of you were around at the time. Uh, I'd love to hear what your memories were of the October crisis of... Uh, of what, uh, what all went down in Quebec and uh, Ottawa in the 60s and 
I guess the beginning is the 70s, just the beginning. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so for starters, Andre, can you take us back to the time period where this play takes place? And that's Quebec in the 1960s. Give us a reminder of what was happening in that era. Sure, well, uh, I, I think at the most basic level, it's a time of change, right? There's, uh, it's a time of the quiet revolution. I'll speak louder. Um, and there's many different changes going on. I think that's what's really interesting. There's a change, first of all, in the way um, the nation is defined in Quebec, and that's kind of comes across really strongly in the play. So there's a switch from kind of the old kind of French-Canadian nation that incorporated all French-speaking Catholics across Canada to uh, a Quebecois nation, which is kind of more... Uh, territorially defined yeah, by the borders of the province of Quebec. So that's really important. Uh, the, 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 the definition of that nation also changes in so far as, you know, the French-Canadian nation used to be really uh, anchored on religion, yeah, on Catholicism, and that changes. So Quebec, you know, goes from being a deeply religious society to a very secular one, and replacing religion in that is, uh, is language. Right? And that's, that's, again, foremost in the play. Now, there's other big changes going on in Quebec at that time. Uh, there's a process of modernization, so kind of the, the traditional way of life that was associated with French-Canadian nationalism. Uh, there's a willingness on the part of a, kind of a new political elite to change that, to modernize Quebec. And in the process also to kind of change the structure of, um, of, the, uh, 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 of class in Quebec. That's also very strongly represented in the play, right? This idea that, you know, the, the, the higher echelons of the Quebec economy were not accessible to Francophones and they were overly kind of uh, uh, um, occupied by English speakers. So the Quebec government, become, beginning in the 1960s, attempts to change, to change that, right? So those are the kind of the macro societal changes that we see. With that comes political change, right? And, and you know, French-Canadian nationalism was essentially defensive. It was, I guess, basically the idea was to uh, get the federal government to leave Quebec alone so that Quebec could be, you know, its kind of traditional Catholic self. But in the 1960s, that changes. And, and the Quebec governments seek to change the political status of the province. And of course, there's many different positions on that. Uh, there are people, that would be the, the case of the Liberal Party of Quebec at that time, who want to kind of rethink, to restructure Canadian federalism, right? So the most moderates, we would say. And then there are those who want Quebec to become an independent country. And among those, there are also moderates and there are also radicals. Uh, the moderates would be, you know, the PQ really, René Lévesque, who formed the Movement Sovereignty Association, who proposed to make Quebec independent, but to retain some links with Canada, some political and perhaps economic links. And then the, those were, and then there were the radicals also, who wanted you know, pure independence, and were willing and, and, and proposing to use, uh, to use violence to achieve it. Now this was always a very marginal group, but a group, of course, that, that was very, uh, well, very, they were marginal, but of course they were important at the same time, you know, in, in, in the early 1970s. And of course they, they kind of struck the imagination of many Canadians and many Quebecers, and also that's uh, very present towards the end of the play. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so when, um, 
when this was ignited uh, in the 60s, um, do you think that there was any sympathy for this movement outside of Quebec? Well, yeah, there was, of course, because in, in one of the, I guess, uh, not the roots of, 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 of this more radical movement, but the inspiration was what was going on elsewhere in the world, right? And this was a period of decolonization. And the discourse uh, of, of the more radical organizations, of course, nationalist organizations in Quebec, was that Quebecers were colonized. Mm -hmm. And that, uh, you know, if African societies were able to get rid of their oppressors, their colonial oppressors, so should Francophone Quebecers, right? So those movements were really, the, the, the movements in Quebec, the more radical ones, were inspired by those kind of revolutionary, far left-wing ideologies that were found in Latin America, for example. Uh, there were counterpart movements in Europe, uh, in Corsica, in the Basque country in Spain. Um, so, you know, this was put kind of in a global context, right? And it was in a sense normalized uh, in reference to a colonial context where, you know, the discourse was that, you know, colonial oppressors are not gonna leave voluntarily because they profit from you, right? Uh, and so there needs to be some uh, uh, fairly dramatic steps taken to change the situation. So there was really kind of an anti-colonial discourse uh, which was put forward by, by the most radical elements there of the, of the nationalist movement in Quebec then. And so when uh, this is ignited, um, Robert Lepage speaks a lot about the cultural um, drive behind it. And of course, Michelle Anon, the poet, and her poems speak white, um, has a lot to do with this play. Do you yeah. think that the cultural revolution was happening uh, as a part of the political? Did it inspire the political? Did the political inspire the cultural? And how did the cultural movement drive it? Yeah, I mean, of course, uh, the cultural world has always been very close to the Quebec independence movement. Um, uh, even there's a sociologist uh, way back when, Maurice Pinard, who did a study of, you know, who's most likely to support Quebec independence. And what he found was that it was people who used language at work. Artists, writers, teachers. Those were people who were the most likely to, uh, to support Quebec independence because of course the, in the 60s and 70s, the, the, the health of the language was for them, I mean, crucial to, uh, to their being and, and, and to their work as well, right? Um, and, and now, as the, the play shows also, part of it was cultural, but there's an element within kind of the linguistic uh, debate and linguistic politics, which was also very, very material, and it was about again work, right? Uh, and and certainly there was the, certainly the discourse that you know Quebec, uh, as of the 1960s, was was a place where upward social mobility for francophone was very difficult. Uh, and uh, one of the things that I do try to explain to my students when I talk about language legislation in the 1970s is that it's not just about the language of advertising. You know, that was, yeah, that was part of it, that French be prominent because it was associated with the status of Francophones and very important, I guess, emotionally and psychologically for them. But it was also about the very kind of practical objective of uh, providing easier access to the higher echelons of 
the province's economy to francophones, right? A good part of the language legislations were about that. So uh, certainly the cultural and, 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 and the class aspect and the more material aspect of politics kind of all met in, uh, in the nationalist movement at that time. So let's go back, speaking of language, let's go back. We're going to ask a question about uh, the terms that are in use all the time, because I actually um, think I'm saying the right terms, and then it turns out that I'm not sometimes. Uh, and that is separatism, nationalism, federalism, and sovereignty. Can you parse those out for us and just uh, lay out what the definitions are according to, um, according to how they fit in the context of the... Uh, the Quebec movements in the 70s? Sure, I mean, first of all, I'm not gonna tell you what's right and what's wrong exactly, because I mean, this is all part of political discourse, but I can tell you how they're used though. Um, and, and, well, maybe I will tell you about the term nationalist and what's right and wrong about that in relation to Quebec. And I think one of the things that uh, certainly I, I, I try to emphasize uh, with English speaking audiences primarily is that uh, I think most Francophone Quebecers are nationalists. And what that means is that they consider Quebec to be their nation. Uh, so Canada is a country, Quebec is their nation. It's subjectively more important to them. And that's, that's a consequence of the Quiet Revolution. I mean, it wasn't like that in the 1950s, probably not even in the 1960s and started in the 1970s. But now if you look at the data, that's, that's pretty clear. That's what we see. Now, being a Quebec nationalist doesn't mean that you want Quebec's independence. So that can be compatible with all kinds of political models, right? Uh, so, you know, uh, early in the 1960s, the term that was used in French for people who wanted Quebec's independence was indépendantiste, but that doesn't have a translation in English. So, um, so Anglophones tended to use separatist, right? And they still do. Uh, as well, uh, Francophones who were opposed to Quebec's independence tended to label les indépendantistes, separatists, because it sounds harsher, I think. Right. You know, so very few Quebec francophones supporting independence would self-declare a separatist. It's almost, you'll never hear that, okay? You'll either be an indépendantiste or you'll call yourself a sovereignist. But can and, you, sorry to interrupt, yeah. it, the indépendantiste? Yes. Uh, is that somebody who wishes to, for Quebec to be an independent nation outside of Canada? Yes. So it is kind of the same as a separatist? It is. Okay. It is. But as I said, the word, the word separatist is really used, well, it's used by two categories of people, right? English-speaking people, because independentist doesn't, in doesn't, doesn't exist in English. And also Francophone Quebecers who oppose independence. They'll say, you know, you're a separatist. It's un separatist, which is almost like an insult, right? Uh, I don't exactly know where that comes from, is there's, if there's actually a linguistic explanation for this, but uh, that's certainly how, how it's been used. And certainly, it's in, since the late 1960s, up until very recently, the dominant word was sovereignist. I think that was kind of, that's a Quebec creation, uh, which has been then uh, grabbed by now Catalan uh, nationalists and, and, and other kind of nationalist movements around the world. And of course, sovereignist refers to sovereignty, which is the capacity of the state to make laws, right, unburdened by, by constraints. And uh, so, I mean, technically, it's, it's, a, it's a good term. From a political scientist's perspective, it's a good term. And I think I, I, for those who wanted Quebec's independence, again, it had the luxury, it had the quality of not sounding 
as harsh as even indépendantiste, right? A sovereignist meant, you know, because sovereignty can be divided. Uh, sovereignty, it's not all or, or nothing. So the notion of sovereignty kind of went okay with the notion of association, which was what was proposed by René Lévesque and the PQ originally, right? So he grouped these terms together. What the party formerly wanted was sovereignty association. So an independent Quebec retaining some kind of economic and possibly political ties with the rest of Canada. Now, part of that is, was an effort, of course, to be able to convince people that, to support that project, right? And, and historically, it was always very difficult, if not impossible, to find a majority of Quebecers to support independence when you called it independence, right? But when you called it sovereignty, or even better, sovereignty association, or in 95, sovereignty partnership, then you could get an extra 10% to support that because there seemed to be, you retain some kind of association with Canada, you know, which is also, of course, something that needs to be mentioned is that, you know, although I did mention that most Francophone Quebecers feel and think that Quebec is their nation, an overwhelming majority of them as well have uh, uh, an attachment to Canada. And that's always been a problem, of course, for the PQ that, and they tried to circumvent that by, by, by saying, you know, we'll have independence, but we'll have association as well. We'll have partnership as well. Right, and it has gone down, the passion for independence or in, in oh, the word... The sovereignty. Yes, separatism. Yeah, sure, separatism, sure. The passion for that certainly has gone down over the years. Yes. And in 1995, which is the referendum that I... Uh, remember yep. um, they, it, that wasn't it was more successful than I thought it would have been yes. uh, there was more of a rise uh, to for um, for an independent state yes uh, there but um, but uh, you think it's it's on the decline do you think it continues on the decline well uh, continues to decline I'm not sure if it's gonna go back up that I'm more skeptical of that uh, and, and one of the reasons for that is that, and that's kind of directly related to the play, is that, you know, I guess once upon a time, analysts felt that when it came to Quebec's independence, or questions of independence and most anywhere, actually, that the younger you were, the more likely it was that you would support independence. The thinking is you're young, you don't have much to lose, you can take more risks, right? But when you're older, you tend to become more prudent and maybe you're not as likely to engage in something that can be seen as quite risky, right? So, for example, former Quebec leader Bernard Landry said, well, when all the old folks are dead there, the Federalists, then we can have the independence of Quebec, right? It was very crudely put, but uh, that, that's, that's the way it was felt. But what we see now actually is that uh, interestingly, if, we look at, if you look at it by age group, the generation where support for Quebec's independence is highest is between 55 and 65 years old. Okay. So it's Robert Lepage's generation, right? right? So it's those people that, that were born around 1960 and that were socialized through the Quiet Revolution, uh, that witnessed the October crisis and everything you'll see in the play, and of course later that were also witness to the constitutional negotiations of the 80s and 90s, right? Whereas younger people who haven't seen that, for, for my students, for example, for whom this is all history, you know, you, you, I talk to them about all this, but it's all history. They've never seen it, you know. Um, they're not as likely to support Quebec's independence. And they seem to be not as likely to get engaged in any kind of collective projects. Um, 
there are, you know, the types of linguistic tensions that are described in the play, I mean, they haven't lived it. Uh, they certainly have never been told to speak white. They certainly have never been uh, not being able to get a service in French at uh, the Bay in Montreal and all these stories, right, that were kind of constitutive of the English boogeyman in, in Quebec. That, that's pretty much gone. So that's why it's very difficult now, I guess, for the PQ to even speak about a referendum. Now, all this being said, there's still in the polls 35% of Quebecers who want independence, but even then, political scientists are kind of querying that and saying, what does that mean, you know? Is it, and a lot of us think, I guess, that at the end of the day, it's almost like it's an identity. You know, you are an independentist, you are a sovereignist, but are you gonna really work towards getting a referendum? Are you really, really interested? Maybe not, you know? So the idea is maybe the question is answered differently from before. I mean, before it used to be, quote unquote, a more serious question where there was a possibility for this, and now it seems to be more kind of a part of one's political identity. Uh, so it's hard to know where the, you know, really the, the separatist movement is going. Uh, at the party level, it's more fragmented now. The PQ has lost its kind of hegemony on the project. There's some smaller parties that compete with it to, to its left and so on. So it's, it's much more complicated than before. And uh, it's much more complicated for mobilizing people, especially young people. And I, I guess at the end of the day, that's the most surprising thing about what's happened. Do you think um, a lot of the show is about class and um, less, it is very much about language, but it's about how language is tied to class and how the uh, Quebecois were um, kept down um, and, uh, and not allowed to progress or upward, they were not upwardly mobile um, because of uh, the language they spoke. Do mm -hmm. you think that those opportunities, that, that prejudice is gone away now? Do you think that, of course, the, the most, I would say, a lot of Quebecers are bilingual, is that true? No, that's false. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, that's changed completely, I would say. I mean, first of all, I think it's, it's useful to, to I, I think it's important to, to know or to remember that, you know, part, part of that problem was really the making of, of, of Quebec society, right? meaning that for, there was centuries of traditionalism of a, it's a bit of a caricature, but still true that it was a church-dominated society that, that, that really uh, devalued, um, you know, property and capitalism earning and so on that found it to be, you know, morally inferior. So, so the, the plight of, of French Canadians, you know, if, in 1960 there, you know, is really the result of that as much as it is you know, about kind of English speakers and, and, and dominating the economy. I mean, it's so, what I'm saying, I guess, it's, it's you know, the discourse, of course, in the 1960s, what is, it was the fault of the English, right? Which, you know, is not completely accurate, you know, part of it. And, and also, of course, you know, the, the Quebec nationalists at that time also did say it's a fault of the church, and that's why Quebec became so secular. So there were the twin, twin enemies, if you will, you know? Uh, and, and, and of course, the, one of the ironies of, of, of nationalism in Quebec is that the PQ's language legislation, as, which were, of course, um, really decried by Quebec's English-speaking community, really, I think, served to transform Quebec in many ways, including its economy, really providing Francophones access to all kinds of jobs, 
Uh, also, I think reassure many Francophone Quebecers about the future of the language in Canada. Um, so, so things have changed a tremendous amount. And in fact, that's what is hurting, in a sense, the, the independence movement, right? Because you're not facing the same objective conditions as you were in the 1960s and 70s, it's kind of being victim of, 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 of one's own success kind of, kind of thing, right? right. Yeah. Uh, in the play, Robert gets stuck on learning the poem Speak White. Uh, in many ways, his play becomes a meditation on memory, with this as the inciting incident, and you'll see that. Um, do we uh, remember, English-speaking Canadians and French-speaking Canadians, do we remember the October crisis differently? And do we remember that period in Canadian history differently? Do you have an opinion on that? I think we remember everything differently. I mean, that, you mean between the French-speaking yeah. Canadians and yeah? Yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, I, I, I'm exposed to this regularly because I teach Canadian politics to English and 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 French-speaking students at the University of Ottawa, and I know that they come into classes knowing knowing different things, having different perspectives. Um, for example, the FLQ crisis and all of this. Uh, this is what my English-speaking students know about Quebec. I, mean, they, I don't, I don't want to simplify it, but if there's one thing that they know is that there was something called the FLQ and there were bombs. They know that. Uh, for my French-speaking students, it's a non-issue. They don't talk about it. Uh, they'll talk about lots of other things on the, around nationalism, but they won't talk about that. I, I think because for them it's an aberration. They, they view it, they, yeah, they know about it, but it's a fringe people, of, you know, a dozen guys or whatever. That happened, that was done. It's an epiphenomenon, it's not important, right? So that's very, very striking. Uh, and there's, there are many other things. I mean, it's not just the 1960s. We can go back to kind of, you know, even pre-Confederation political history. Of course, my, my French-speaking students, because they've learned this in high school, they know a lot about uh, what came before 1867. They know about all the constitutional treaties, Quebec Act, 74, Constitutional Act, 91, Act of Union, 1840. I don't really need to tell them that. When I get to my class with English-speaking students and I ask them, you know, how many of you know about these things? Well, I did it last week, actually. I had one out of 200. So that's a, a major difference, right? Um, so I, that's what I would say. I mean, overall, I think my French-speaking students, they see the country uh, as, as two nations or many different nations because now they, they see the Aboriginal nations as well. And uh, my English-speaking students are also sensitive to Aboriginal nations now, but uh, the notion that Quebec's a nation is not, they don't accept it. You know, it's still 10 provinces plus Aboriginal nations. At the end of the day, I think that's the fundamental difference when I, when I look at, at these classes. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm to remind you that um, the play is just about two hours long and there is no intermission, so I'm going to encourage you to use the washroom before you go. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I'm going to hand the, uh, it over to you guys now for questions and or memories about uh, that time uh, from, your from your own memory in this play about memory. Sean, we have... I wonder if you can speak about Sorry. Expo 60. Thank you. I wonder if you can speak about Expo 67. Yeah. Uh, some would say, arguably, that it was the rebirth of Canadian nationalism and federalism. 
um, I would like to find out what about Quebec, different pockets of Quebec, the Quebec perspective on the different aspects of life, political, cultural, etc. Could you do that? Sure, I can do that. I, I guess the first thing, I think your comment leads me to, to uh, I guess, remind ourselves of something important, which was in the 1960s, Canada was changing as well. And there was really a, 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 the, an effort, and certainly uh, beginning with Lester B. Pearson and then, of course, Pierre-Elliott Trudeau, to, to rebuild the Canadian nation, the notion of the Canadian nation. And you see that in the play as well. There's a discussion about the flags, for example. Uh, and, you know, there was, so there was a, a Canadian flag created. Uh, and, and for then Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau, for him, the best way to uh, accommodate kind of the quiet revolution and, and Francophone Quebecers in Canada was to make the country bilingual and bicultural, right? So those were, were major changes. So in so so in, in in events like like Expo '67, you know, both things were there, right? It was an element of pride. Certainly for Quebecers, it was an element of pride, and for Montrealers specifically. Huh? And there's another cleavage there, which we could talk about, which is Montreal and the rest of the province, right? Uh, because all of those kind of issues of linguistic divisions and all of that, of course, they existed in selected places uh, in within Quebec. Uh, outside Montreal, but primarily those were Montreal issues, right? I mean, I'm from Quebec City, so is Robert Lepage, and in his play, I mean, he, because he grew up uh, in La Basseville, there in downtown, he encountered a lot, not a lot, but some, some people who spoke English, but I can tell you that uh, I never met somebody who spoke English as a native tongue uh, until I left for Ottawa when I was 24, no, nor did I even meet somebody who could speak English reasonably well, right? So, um, you know, so there, there's that there's that division as well. So I think Expo 67, I think, was a, certainly an object of pride for for Quebecers, and and for Canadians as well. And I think for Can Quebecers at that time in the 1960s, I mean, they were, I mean, they still a lot of Quebecers still feel very Canadian today. There's no doubt, and certainly in the 1960s an overwhelming majority of Quebecers felt very Canadian as well. So it was a period of, you know, kind of very fluid identities. And I think those, those big events like Expo 67, uh, I think came out as, as an element of pride to be both Quebecers and Canadian. I mean, other big events of that time were more strictly celebrated by, you know, Les Indépendantistes, like General de Gaulle's visit, which is featured in the play. That was more um, uh, dividing, you know, but something like Expo 67 is something that could be celebrated by everybody, right? De independently of your politics or your identities. Thanks. Does anybody else have a question? Yes? Oh, just hold for one second. Sean is going to bring you a microphone. Thank you. Can I infer from your global references to Scotland and Catalonia and uh, other places with an independentist uh, push, that you may feel that federalism tactfully and persistently applied can offer a proper evolution to intense, coherent tribes. Well, I, I'm not exactly sure how you got that, but yes, you're entirely right. That's exactly what I think. I, 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 I mean, again, We'll come back on the terms, I guess, because uh, one of the one of their term, of course, that's very prevalent in the Quebec political discourse is federalist, 
which is really you know, not used anywhere else in Canada to talk about politics except in reference to Quebec. Uh, and of course, when you're a federalist in Quebec, you are somebody who opposes Quebec independence. But th that's something that's always bothered me because I think there, there's much more to federalism than this narrow political positioning, right? Uh, I mean, federalism is first and foremost an idea about governments, uh, governance, government and governance. And so it's about kind of reconciling unity and diversity, independence and interdependence, you know, living together yet living apart. And that's done through those two levels of government that we have here. So, you know, so that goes to my point. I mean, I think you can be a Quebec nationalist, believe and think and feel that Quebec is your nation, and at the same time be comfortable in Canada because yeah, you choose to consider it like maybe some remote government if you want, but that's not you know, unduly obtrusive and can even be helpful. So I do think that um, federalism as an idea and as a model of government um, is really the only way to manage kind of multinational societies like Canada, like Spain, and like the United Kingdom, because we know that Secession is very difficult. It almost never happens in liberal democracies. The Catalans are finding that out now. Uh, and of course, trying to centralize a state and assimilate people, that doesn't work either. So uh, again, I think you know, that's why people like me get to go around the world to talk about Canadian federalism. Because I think you know, there, is, there, is, there, is, there is something noble and something, uh, um, and something good in that. In the play, do you remember the story about Nancy Pickford, Nancy Nevelet? Um, and those of you who saw the play yesterday will know what I'm talking about, and those who see it later, maybe you'll get that reference. Uh, um, is that a, do you think that's a, um, a metaphor for the uh, federalists and the, the fe uh, somebody who's trying to <laughs> enforce federalism on a nationalist? No, well, maybe there is something to it. I mean, uh, as I said, I'm not a theater specialist, so I won't analyze the play too much, but there might have been many metaphors in the play about French and English and different political positions and having to learn how to live together, right? Uh, and living together while also having some, uh, some measure of independence and autonomy, you know? So maybe you can... You guys can think about that when you when Monsieur Lepage introduces uh, his neighbors to you. Yeah, I think there's something to it. She asks for a divorce twice. Um, so uh, and is not granted. And it is not granted. <laughs> yeah, it's a very it's a very good story that I've been thinking about ever since. Andre, we have to. I'm sorry, we have to uh, clue it up. Thank you, though. Um, because it is time for us to go, yes? Okay, thank you everybody. Thanks so much for coming to this point of view. Very nice to have you here. I can't wait for you to see the show. You're gonna love it. Thank you, Andre. Thank you. That's all for this edition of the Points of View podcast. Send us your comments and questions. We look forward to hearing from you. If you'd like to stay in touch with news and updates from the NAC English Theatre, sign up for a free e-bulletin by visiting nac-cna.ca slash email alerts. Until next time, this is Sean Fitzpatrick saying goodbye from Canada's National Arts Centre in Ottawa. Music
This has been a National Arts Centre podcast produced in Ottawa by NAC New Media. Send us your comments and questions. Email us at nacpodcasts at gmail.com. Visit the podcast section of the iTunes store where you can rate and comment on this podcast. We love to hear from you. Remember, you can find more great NEC podcasts at necpodcast.ca or search on National Arts Centre on iTunes and subscribe for free. Until next time, goodbye from Canada's National Arts Centre. Thank you.